Can you say hi? Hi. She's going to join the podcast. Yeah. Panini, what's your favorite movie? Triumph of the Will. Cats. Cats. She's a Mr. Mistopolis fan. Is that a tuxedo cat? Yeah. <laughs> My old boss uh, told me that Panini looks like the cat uh, that's on like the cover of Cats. James Corden's a tuxedo cat. Is he? Yeah, I think so. Wait, Jake, is Cats on your list? I don't want to talk about it yet if it's on your top five. <laughs> <laughs> This is Ariel Shot. I'm Greg Gottfried, joined by Jake Richards. We're here to kind of talk about John Wick. Uh, John Wick 4 just came out, in case you haven't seen the first three. And I guess the the place to start is that the only reason I've seen any of the John Wick movies is because Jake kept on telling me to watch any of them. They're so good. I just, they're like a perfect action movie. It just doesn't get any better than the John Wick movies. Literally the first two I rented from the library I took out of the library because they had the DVDs and I didn't want to pay for it uh you were like you have to watch these and I watched the first two within like three days and I was like all right I get it these are actually I mean, there's just so many trash action movies that at a certain point are. I actually watched the second one before I watched the first one and how, how um it was when the second one was in theaters um I don't even remember who I went with maybe my dad doesn't matter um, but I went and saw the second one and then realized after the fact, I was like, I don't think I ever saw the first one of these. And so I went back and watched the first one and then watched the second one again. I mean, it's not, you know, critical plot development. Like, no, yeah, it's definitely not it. like Game of Thrones where there's like interweaving plots from all across the world. For those out there that don't know, if if you don't know, John Wick is an action franchise starring Keanu Reeves and it kicks ass. And I don't know why you'd be listening to this if you don't know what John Wick is. Real weird. Um, and every every movie is basically Keanu Reeves, John Wick character avenging his deceased dog, who gets uh killed in the first movie, right? Kidnapped and killed, and then yep. he just gets deeper and deeper into this assassin's world that he was once in. He got out of, and now he got pulled back into. Speaking of Game of Thrones, uh, the dog is killed by Theon Greyjoy from Game of Thrones. I feel like there's other Game of Thrones characters, like people that show up throughout too. But also, oh, for every, sure there are. Every British actor looks like they were on Game of Thrones. That's so that's correct. It's tough sometimes to know who's who. Yeah, there's uh, simply too many to. It's, it's. I mean, John Wick is also just like they just throw a character actor into it every five minutes it's great yeah i mean the fourth movie came out this year to basically rapturous reviews i feel like um i don't know anyone that saw it that disliked it i mean i only know a few people that saw it but also everyone that saw it has liked it and it's just it's it's long you know put it out it's almost oh for sure it is but it it's fun the entire time. It's not like there's a half hour of, you know, nothing that happens. It's just action set piece after action set piece. Yeah, it's got, uh, you've got katanas. You've got a blind guy that has a sword cane. Uh, you've got Japanese version of the Continental from New York City. And you have Bill Skarsgård just hamming it up. Boy, do you. 
Man, whenever you've got a Skarsgård in your movie, you know it's going to be at least pretty good. I feel like Skarsgård's character is the reason I like the John Wick movies so much. Like, as like a... He, like, represents what's good about them. How, like, ridiculous they are, but also they take themselves so seriously at the same time. Like, it, it does have a sense of humor. It's not like it's this, like, nothing movie that just, like, is trying to just show you people getting stabbed. You know, there's some comedy in there. Yeah, it's just it doesn't have that like fourth wall breaking, like we're going to wink at how silly this all is. Yeah. Like there if this was, uh, you know, a worse movie, there would have been some dumbass like me who is sitting there making jokes about how uh, these bounties are not that high. Mm-hmm. And, you know, an NBA player makes more money than you would get for killing John Wick. But, like, it doesn't have that because it's a good movie. Yeah, you don't have Ryan Reynolds being like, look at this to the audience. Yeah. Can you believe this? Yeah, Can you? no one's Jim camera, Jim staring at the camera being like, can you believe what's going on right now? And I think the other thing is, like, each movie is basically like a roller coaster ride, just, like, upping the one before it. Like, at, at a certain point, they're going to run out of moves. I, I would think you, you, would, you would almost hope so because, like, someone's going to die at some point with just how ridiculous each movie gets on top of the one before it well yeah i don't know if they're gonna make a fifth one uh i mean it seems like they are definitely gonna consider it now that the fourth one did so well but they weren't they weren't planning on it there's the show coming which we're both lukewarm on the continental yeah i mean that's there's just so many tv shows like this was 2005 and uh, there was just much less television available to me absolutely i would watch that but Mm -hmm. There's just too many things now that I got to hear good reviews before I even really take a look at it. Same with, because uh, there's another one, or no, maybe it's a movie, the one that's called like uh, Ballerina or whatever. Yeah, it's a movie. The Ana de Armas one. Is she in it? I think she's the baller- the the main character, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, but I don't know who's directing that one. Probably not the same guy. The thing that matters is that Chad Stahelski directed the fourth one, and he was a former stuntman. And I think the reason we both like this one, would you have this one as number one of the four? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I was actually, when I was uh, looking at cinematographers earlier, um, I had always kind of noticed that uh, the first one's great. Don't get me wrong. It's, I would say, the second or third best of them. But uh, it's got like, it doesn't have the same like style to it that the other three do. The other three are like very uh, cohesive and like the way that they like shoot things and the way that they frame things, the way that certain characters behave and are written. Uh, and the first one's like a little bit disconnected from that. And I realized that there's a different cinematographer for the first one. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason we're talking about this movie now as part of this podcast is because it just looks so good and it just, it's so it's on such a like I saw it on an IMAX screen in like the biggest scale possible. And every scene is just like can you hear that? Our cars honking behind me. Oh no, um, I can't. <laughs> every scene is just more beautiful than the one before it. Like and the shot and it's not just like a a collection of shots that look cool. You know, it actually like goes together and creates like a a real story and a real it, it has momentum. 
yeah i just like it's the the way it's shot is so important to it because i mean that's always been the thing that uh i think disconnected me from like the born movies and a lot of other mission impossible yeah. where it's just like it doesn't have a unique style to it there's nothing that really draws you in visually outside of like action explosion bike motorcycle whatever uh and there's just so much of that stuff that it feels weird to say that about explosion ex, you know explosions and motorcycles and whatnot but it's become a little you know nothing almost because it's in everything yeah i mean especially with all the blockbusters like fast and furious is another one of those series that at a certain point has become like a a parody of itself like you can't really tell where the movie ends and where like the jokes about the movie begins at a certain point oh and yeah john wick somehow like toes the line i feel like where it's it's definitely knowing like it knows what it's doing and there's one scene in there where john wick for like 20 minutes keeps fighting more and more people where they just keep coming out and keep coming out like it's there's a joke in there but it's not as just like over the top with it yeah it's like definitely uh about as close as a movie can get to just being the experience of playing a video game mm -hmm. where it's just like more enemies are just spawning and then i mean it even like has the shot at the end where it goes like overhead mm -hmm. and you're watching him with the the incendiary shotgun just mow people down like that was the most video game ass thing i've ever seen in my life yeah, I mean, one of the other movies, what, so I told, I asked Jake to be on this podcast, and one of the things I asked him for was that we both put together lists of our favorite looking movies, the best cinematography movie, like, you know, of the, of the last 23 years, basically. So from the 21st century, we were just going to put together our best looking movies. And one of the ones I have on my list has a scene like that, like in John Wick 4, that you just you need to be creative in these movies or else it just becomes you know run-of-the-mill netflix extraction type stuff where it's just yeah. a bunch of punches and it like you know loud noises and then the movie's over after 90 100 minutes yeah honestly just not doing shaky cam you're like halfway there and the thing is like a lot of these scenes they just go wide camera they just pan back and they just let the actors be like fucking insane you know, that's kind of what they have to do at a certain point. Yeah, um, I mean, you just got, yeah, in certain instances, you just got to let the lighting and let the actors do their thing. I mean, you, I mean, you you are like, this is going to sound very pretentious, but uh, I mean, you are kind of like, in a way, you're just the canvas. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, with, with good cinematography, like you're supposed to just kind of be a compliment. I mean, obviously there are shots where like the shot is the thing that you're looking at more than anything else, but for the most part, for a movie to have a cohesive plot to it, most of the time, it's just going to be a canvas. You want it to be a nice-looking one, but it's just a canvas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's about the actual set pieces and what's what's happening on the screen as opposed to where the camera is. Trying to think if there's anything else to say about John Wick. I mean, it's fun. Go, go yeah, I think yeah, if there's a single person who's still listening to this, they probably want us to move on. Yeah. All right, so we put together these lists. You don't know what my list is. I don't know what your list is. We've kind of alluded to different things that are on ours throughout the day, and I, I feel like there's a few 
or at least one overlapping. But I figured I talk I, I write a lot for Ariel Shot about the writing of movies, about like the, you know, the plot development and all that of movies. I don't talk enough about like what the movies look like because that's it's a visual medium. That's the most important part. So Jake and I put together a list. Do you have any words before we get to it? Um, yeah. So one of the things as I was kind of going through this uh exercise, um, one of the things I did was uh I was looking up different cinematographers and then I kind of like created a list of of movies I thought looked nice. And then I was looking up cinematographers. And then the last thing I did was I was looking up the cinematographers of the movies that I had written down. Yep. And two of the things I was noticing, I mean, these neither of these are going to be exactly novel uh, things to say. But first of all, holy shit, there are no women doing this. It's fucking insane. I think I had one or two on my list. I I, yeah, so I like went through and started specifically looking for like female cinematographers and some of the work they've done it's a lot of tv work a lot of like movie or music videos um but i mean i'm sure it's just a matter of not getting getting the same opportunities but the movie i could i found that i uh thought had some of the best cinematography that was uh shot by a woman was eternal sunshine of the spotless mind Mm. um that movie has really good cinematography the, it, it's really good at like using cinematography as like a metaphor almost um but yeah and then the other uh observation i had was not a lot of not white guys um i had yeah uh two not white guys on my list one of them uh on my extended list not in my top five one of them made the top five the other one did not the second one that did not was hopefully you don't have this one on your list arrival I have that one on my list. Do you really? I do. Yeah. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> what, what, you have that on your extras or whatever? No, I so I don't have it on my top five, but I have it on my like extended list. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. That's um, for Young, yeah. Yes, yeah. Who is... Black yeah, cinematographer. Yeah, not white, but... Uh, and he did, he did some other uh, good things that I was... Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, he did... Uh, uh, a most violent year, Selma. Yes, that's what it was. Solo, which we both thought. We both yeah, thought, I love Solo. I, I I like Solo. I saw it in theaters. I saw it before it came out officially, so before like all the backlash. And I was like, that was a fun. That was a fun little, you know. Game. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite Star Wars movies. Yeah, I mean, compared to most of the stuff, I'm like, yeah, that was pretty good. I like Donald Glover. Yeah. New Waller Bridge. Uh, I do um, have on my list, but it's fine. That's funny. Well. Uh, yeah, and so, yeah, I was noticing there was a lot of overlap where multiple movies, I was also noticing a lot of directors like to work with the same cinematographers, which yeah. is one of those things that makes a lot of sense, but I had never really thought about it. No, there's um, a, like Wes I, Anderson I, always uses the yeah. same guy. Paul Thomas Anderson uh, jumps between a few, but a lot yeah. of ones, yeah. Uh, uh, Christopher Nolan used the same guy for up until like the Batman movies and then that guy retired and now he uses a different guy for all his movies yeah well I think it was was it 1917 where they brought a was it Dune there was one movie where they brought the cinema 1917 Roger Deakins they brought them on out of retirement because they needed 
Now I'm gonna just Google. I don't think Deacon's retired because no. he he did. Oh, it, it was. It's a movie that we're gonna talk about later. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty. At least I'm gonna talk about. It. I'm pretty sure you are too. Okay. Uh, yeah. You want, just want to get into the top five? Sure. You want me to start it? Yeah, and then we could do like honorable mentions at the end. All right. So actually, before we get into it, <laughs> just gonna never get to it. Um, I was a little surprised. I have one pure action movie on my list and then another movie that's kind like basically an action movie but i don't know if it'd be classified because there's not really like car chases or anything like that it's a bit more like hand-to-hand combat. Wonder, uh, we both of these movies might be the same <laughs> yeah uh whatever i'll get into it so my number five is the master by paul thomas anderson okay um i actually have never seen the master i've only heard good things i wanted that i kept seeing it all the, all the lists i was looking on I wanted to have a PTA movie on my list and it was either going to be this and then I also have There Will Be Blood on my extended list, but that felt almost too easy. Like, that's what it's... It felt almost too easy at a certain point. And I do... I think The Master may be even better looking in a, in a less, you know, like over the... Not over the top, but in a less, like, cinematic, you know, with capital C way. The way it, like, shoots all these, like, very claustrophobic shots. The way it shoots scenes on water i mean it's a paul thomas anderson movie that's kind of based on scientology uh with philip seymour hoffman and joaquin phoenix and it just has a lot of close-ups i mean it's it's amazing it's it's i would it's a five-star movie for me i love it i saw it in theaters uh at iu actually when philip seymour hoffman passed away they did like a retrospective of movies he's been in and i would love to see it again in theaters it's it's unreal yeah i definitely need to see it i also uh flirted with the idea of putting there will be blood on mine hmm. uh, mainly because of that tracking shot when the oil rig explodes yeah um but i did not end up putting it on that scene also has like the best music it, it does just, and like, just he's just my god damn day lewis just putting on a clinic i mean i told i saw that one in theaters a few years ago because they were reshowing it i literally i want i wanted to watch it again so i googled there will be blood new york city screenings and there happened to be one the next day so I There's like a hundred movie theaters there. What do you mean there happened to be? But I mean, it's a 2007 movie. Like it was like 20. I guess. And I, I texted my dad. I'm like, I'm going to this if you want to go. And he's like, all right. So we went to go see the Obi Blood in theaters and it, it was so loud. I mean, he has hearing aids, so he was fine. But, you know, just unbelievable stuff. Recommend go, go open your own theater so you can go see it in theaters. <laughs> yeah, they're not. That's not showing in Indianapolis anytime yeah. soon. All right, you go, you go. Oh, that. So the master cinematographer. I'm not sure if I'm saying this right. Mahai Malamary Jr. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, I don't think I nailed that one. But not to be confused with Mahai Malamary Senior. Yeah, he's a Romanian cinematographer, and he did Jojo Rabbit as well, which is oh a jump. And the harder they fall. So he's been all over the place. I think it's his only movie with Paul Thomas Anderson, though. Yeah. All right. You're okay. Right. Well, my uh, number five, I was uh, chat. I was deciding between two movies by the same cinematographer, um, but I ended up going with Moonlight. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that that movie is so uh, the way it uses color is really cool. Um, it just like has a. I mean, that's a movie where like the shot is the star of a lot of scenes. Yeah. Um. And especially, like, the way he uses, like, blue as this, like, ink, as almost this, like, 
all-encompassing like feeling of loneliness yeah and like doubt um i just i think that movie is really good um i it reminds me a lot of the life aquatic where it just uses like blue a lot to kind of uh you know symbolize various things um and I just, it does a really good job of shooting things where, you know, even where like the set piece is the most important thing, like the uh, scene where he's talking to Mahershala Ali's character. Um, and I mean, the way it frames, it's like kind of up and it's focusing on the two parents instead of on him, where it does kind of feel, give you that same feeling as when you're like talking to your parents as a kid about something you don't totally understand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think that movie's great. I feel like the other, I mean, I haven't seen it in a few years, but the other thing I remember about that movie is that it gets like each section, like it's kind of split into three sections of his life of the main character's life. Yeah. Is kind of color graded differently where it gets darker. I feel like as the life goes on and things get like bleaker and bleaker in his own life, like he begins as a child and it's all these bright colors in the sun. And I feel like there's more outdoors, like bright in your face scenes. And the longer it goes, the darker it gets by the time you get to the third act, the colors almost like bleed into each other in this very like sad, like isolated way, I guess is what they're trying to. Yeah. It does portray. start to get really like washed out. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that movie's really good. Um, I also, but yeah, the other one I, I thought about included was if Beale street could talk, which mm-hmm. is also very similarly, wonderfully shot. Yeah. All right. Should I go? Yeah. My number four, I don't know if you have this, but 2006 Children of Men is on my um, I thought about it. Yeah. Um, I included one, uh, or maybe thought about including one that was by the same cinematographer. Emmanuel Lubeski. Uh, yeah. He's done Birdman, The Revenant, Tree of Life, Gravity. You know, he's been all over the place. Uh, yes. And Children of Men, I've, it's like I'm trying to think is it underrated or is it just like we don't people don't talk about it because it's you know 17 years ago but when I saw it I I, I mean I saw it late because I was 11 when it came out it it just has some of the like most beautiful tracking shots you've ever seen in this haunting way and it's about like a messianic-esque figure in this war-torn world (laughs) which sounds like a you know a, a fun romp and it's just it's unreal like i i feel like a lot of people i know haven't seen it and they should but i know you have yeah, it's i have seen it yeah i i i do think that's a fantastic movie and i think what really maybe this is just my own experience i do think it's underrated yeah. because for a long time i kind of thought it was one of those like fake beat movies mm-hmm. um like i used to hear a lot of people growing up that would like talk about it in the same breath as like the boondock saints mm-hmm. where they were like you know be like oh it's so deep but like the kind of people that i was hearing say that i was like oh okay it's probably more like fake deep and then i actually watched it and i was like no this kicks ass this is super fucking good yeah and that all that we also has a, a really cool tracking shot yeah in the car right no so you're following i think it's the dad as he's like trying to escape or no, oh. it's just a guy. I think it's a guy that's like scouting ahead for them. Yeah, yeah I don't there, remember. It follows a guy. No, there's that. And there's the one in the car too, where they're going forward and then they start getting attacked and shot at. And they have that's to go. Right. I forgot about that one. Um, 
I, I mean, anyone out there should say it's Alfonso Cuaron. I don't know if it's a masterpiece, but great movie starring Clive Owen, who I feel like should be in more stuff. We've talked about Clive Owen before, and the Julian thinking Moore, man's Michael Caine. Uh, what's that guy's name? I'm I'm blo- I'm oh, blanking on his name all of a sudden. The guy from Three Hundred. Russell Crowe. No, not Russell Crowe. No, that's I'm not. Think of the other guy. Damn it. Three hundred. The main guy. Yeah, the main guy. Oh, oh my god. Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. Yes, Gerard Butler. That's I could not remember Gerard Butler's damn name. Well, Gerard Butler's in Plane now, a new movie called Plane, which everyone's discussing. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Clive Owen's the thinking man's Gerard Butler. I feel like Clive Owen is going to have a Colin Farrell-esque run at some point. That's what I want for him. I want him to be in a bunch of like Yorgos Lanthimos-esque movies, you know? Put him put him put him as a, a character actor in one of these side projects. And then eventually, as well. And then eventually, he's up to to uh, Brendan Fraser in a fat suit. I mean, that was I love Brendan Fraser, but that was not. I did not didn't care for that one. No. All right. What's your number four? Or yeah, what's your number four? Okay, so my number four is a movie that's uh, you're definitely not going to have on yours. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's Interstellar. I okay. I I don't know why I just don't love it as much as you and Ben, but I, I do really like it. I think it's so good, but like the the cinematography in it is almost as good as the score. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just like so good visually. Like every scene is, like the shot is the star in every single scene in that that one. And on top of that, like it's still doing a really good job of telling like a cohesive story with very little dialogue. Um, the color grading in it is really good, where it's like uh, it does a really good job of like. Uh, you know, making everything look really nice, even when it's in space or even when it's in the dark. Um, yeah, it's I uh, I really love that movie. I had to. I felt like I had to do a Nolan. Um, so it was between that and Dunkirk, and I went with Interstellar. Yeah, I don't. I have a list of seventeen movies that I was kind of going between, and I don't have Interstellar on. Honestly, I didn't even think about Interstellar. Um, Fair enough. I do have Dunkirk on my list. I mean, that's my favorite Nolan movie, and I it's it looks amazing it's it's less like fantastical i mean obviously because it's not in space but you know the sometimes when you go out into you know outer space you're gonna have cooler looking shots because it's stuff you haven't seen before and you get to kind of oh, like, for sure i mean dunkirk is definitely much tighter probably like from a technical perspective it's probably more impressive cinematography but i just love watching spaceships twirl through space there uh I mean, my number three doesn't have a single spaceship, but it does have Uma Thurman in Kill Bill Volume 1. Oh, wow. I was... I don't know if I count Kill Bill as one movie. It's technically two movies, so it's two movies. Uh, but I, the first one has maybe the best action sequence of any movie of the 21st century, which is like the last, what, 40 minutes of the movie? The entire fight against the 88 and yeah that i mean that i i didn't even think about kill bill i was looking through tarantino movies and i was like i think the best cinematography in any tarantino movie is probably pulp fiction and that's wasn't made in the before 2000 yeah i was like thinking glorious bastards but that's a writing movie more than it is like a like all of his movies are more about the writing i feel like than the cinematography yeah and there's a really there's a couple of really good shots in glorious bastards but like on the whole it's not the most 
uh, like impressive cinematography. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about Kill Bill, but yeah, that action sequence is really well shot. I mean, the entire movie up to the action sequence is beautiful. I mean, it has that entire animated sequence. Um, looking back at Lucy Liu's character, I, I forget her name, but how, you know, how she became a mob mafia boss. And the last 40, it has that overhead tracking shot I was referencing before. So I guess that we weren't thinking about the same movie. Um, and it just, the colors, the the way it changes from black and white to color. I mean, saying Quentin Tarantino is cool is the most white guy thing someone can do. But Quentin Tarantino's cool as hell. And that, I think, I really go back and forth between Bastards and Kill Bill as my favorite movie of his. Um, but Kill Bill is definitely, you know, more cinematographically, more... It looks it looks cool as hell. That's what I was. That's what I'm gonna say. It looks it looks prettier. Looks prettier. Uh, yeah, I was it. I was going through because I I thought about doing, um, Django, and mm-hmm. I think Django's really well shot. But honestly, the weird thing about Django is I think it's obviously a million times better than the Hateful Eight. But I think Hateful Eight honestly has some better cinematography in it. I mean, I was also I wouldn't I didn't have it on my list, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has a few just like unbelievable sequences where it shows like old LA that just doesn't exist anymore. And part of me is like, how did he do any of this? But I don't know how much of that is cinematography versus, you know, like set design, like, but it all kind of blends together at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the nice guys is kind of similar yeah. where you get a very like old school LA feel. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how they did that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how they do any of this shit. No, it's all <laughs> like, magic to me. It's so funny when I listen to like these movie podcasts and they're like just talking it out. I was listening to Bill Hader describe how he did a shot in Barry. And he's like, oh, that one was pretty easy. And then he just goes off into like the ether and how he's discussing this. And I don't know how any of these people do anything. Good for them, honestly. All right. What's, what's your, your number three? Oh, that was Kill Bill. That was my number. Yeah. Um, okay. So my number three. Um is also has a tracking shot in it in fact it's all a tracking shot and it is birdman hmm. um i just there's you like birdman oh i think birdman's a very good movie okay. um it's not like wasn't like the most you know it wasn't a romp you know it wasn't like the most fun i've ever had at the movies yeah but it's very very well well done and the cinematography is insane i mean the fact that it's all a tracking shot I mean, they cheat a little bit with the night sequence thing. Yeah, there's but, a few times um, in there. But 1917 too, but it's also like they did an hour tracking shot that, you know. The, yes, the, yeah. 1917, I had 1917 on my long list. I was between that and Birdman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt like I couldn't do two Roger Deacons though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, but yeah, with Birdman also has some like individual shots that just like look really great. Um like there's one where it's like behind Michael Keaton. There's all the like lights up about like up in front of him. Oh, in and the bar. Yeah. 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 Just like there's just like little shots like that that just like look really really nice. Mm. Um, and just drew me into a story that, that I otherwise probably would have checked out of. I should honestly see it again. I saw it one full time with my dad in theaters who hated it, uh, and then I saw it. I saw like bits and pieces of it because it was on like HBO for like a long run, but I haven't like sat down to watch the whole thing in a long time. And... Yeah, I watched it in college. I don't think I've watched it since then, or not. Like you watched it, for it was a, a couple years after college. Oh, you okay? Um, yeah, I mean, I I really loved it when I watched it, but 
it's, it's been a long time now so who knows i think i'd still like it though yeah i'm i'm sure you would um i mean yeah i haven't seen it in years either but what's your number two uh so you spoiled my number two my number two is arrival which oh man no no it's fine i it's funny because arrival and interstellar are both you know outer space alien you know move like similar about like potentially the end of the world and needing to go out there and seeing what's happening and they're just shot in like exactly opposite ways like interstellar is like this old space like you know shooting stars going to these like yeah it's not it's almost got like a kubrick feel to it yeah and arrival kind of in a 2001 space odyssey kubrick way but also just in like a it's like down and dirty aliens like in a, in a different way where it's these like yeah it's definitely it's it's almost it's a little district nine-esque yeah it's like it's like this weird cylinder like these spaceships don't look like spaceships they just look like pebbles that are like elongated uh it's it's like this grimy gross like block that they have to like climb into i don't know there's something about how it takes this like very like magical looking thing. I feel like Nope kind of is the same way. And it turns it into this like almost uber realistic thing. And it's just, I think it's one of those movies that I remember seeing. And it's one of my like favorite theater movies when I saw it the first time where I was just so like taken aback by how good it was. Oh man. Is it, I think it's a flashlight where he like throws it up and then it yeah. like skitters down the wall of the mm-hmm. spaceship. Oh man, I lost my mind with that. It's all like upside down, like in different ways, and like yeah, like the gravity, gravity. switches. Yeah, uh, it's just, and it's just like this like behemoth. It's like this is mat. It's this massive thing that's just so intimidating in such a different way than how you see most spaceship or like alien spaceships. Um, I mean, also like it's shot very well, other than like the alien stuff with Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. I always forget Jeremy Renner's in this movie, but he's you know great. And yeah, he's great. I mean, the man can put on a great performance every once, every now and then. Yeah, so that's for uh, Young. That's my number two. I was going back and forth. I was like, I need a Denis Villeneuve movie. I don't know if you have one on there, but I was thinking Arrival. I was thinking Dune. There was uh, another one that you may say, so I'm not going to say it. Uh, Sicario. Like, there's just so many. And he he's like probably like our best visual director right now. Uh, so we'll go to your number two. Yeah, so uh, quick aside, did you know that the cinematographer that did Dunkirk and Interstellar also did Nope? Oh, it's uh, it's the Dutch name, right? Hoyt- yeah, Hoyt, Hoyt Van Hotema. Hoytema. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Peele talked about it. I, I was listening to him on a podcast. And if, like that guy's like the person you need for those types of movies, I feel like. I mean, he fucking kills it. Um, but yeah, so my number two is also uh, Denis. Yeah. And it is Blade Runner 2049. I knew it. That's why I didn't uh, Another movie that just looks so unbelievably good. Um, that, like, I just love when a movie is, like, not afraid to, like, run, is not afraid to just, like, throw a whole shit ton of one color at you. Yeah. Where, like, he's walking through uh, the, like, uh, the desert planet, and it's just, like, he's surrounded by orange. Mm-hmm. Um, or the the scene that's, like, now become a meme when uh joy is like talking to him and there's like uh pinky pinkish purplish light like reflecting off of his face yeah um just like the way it uses color is like like 
literally like a pop of color a lot of times where you have this incredibly drab, depressing, like rundown city that's, you know, very post-apocalyptic and dystopian. And then you have these like really flamboyantly colorful like advertisements for, you know, like alcohol or drugs or like yeah. sex. They just like really like, you know, it's, it, you know, it, 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 and in some ways it's like kind of without uh, subtlety, but in other ways, like, because it's, uh, it's you know, such, such little sparse pops of color, it does give it a, a certain subtlety, but it's also just really nice to look at. Yeah. I mean, it's just these like neon signs that are trying to grab, you know, the character's attention. So it grabs yours as well. And I mean, the way it shoots Ana de Armas too, in that entire movie as like the most beautiful person to ever exist like it follows through uh oh yeah it definitely it's it's similar to like her yeah where it's like you're kind of like all right you know i it's not for me but i understand why you fell in love with this robot woman mm -hmm. yeah i mean did you see that in theaters because i did not yeah the oh man the scene i saw it in imax at this uh movie theater uh, in indy um but the uh scene where joy is like talking to him it, it's like it's like the advertisement of her and she like doesn't like know who he is hmm. oh man and you, you just have that like the light reflecting off of his face like that is just a 10 out of 10 scene yeah no i mean i i was i watched it during covid i'm pretty sure loved it put put it on the big screen dad fell asleep immediately mom left the room um you know just great That's stuff what happens yeah that was like a year that was like six months into it so we were just, i was watching that movie no matter what was happening um i think we have the same number one it's very possible <laughs> um so it's a it's a george miller movie oh yeah <laughs> yep uh which which makes sense because it's like probably the most positively reviewed movie of the 21st century at least i i feel like when i saw a lot of like the top 10 list of like the best of the you know 20, 2000 to 2020 it was like on every single one of those lists um, yeah, what was funny is that I didn't see it on cinema, on a lot of cinematography lists. Mm -hmm. But it, I mean, it's almost too easy. And oh yeah, I mean it's it's kind of, it's it does feel a little bit like a cop out because it it does have similar colors to Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I feel like it has that that like or that gross orange color. Like it has that bright blue sky, but just like menacing sky. Like it's just it's Mad Max Fury Road is number one. Yes, a, uh, a phenomenal film. Which I saw in theaters with my mother, uh, she she didn't care for it because it's a little it's a little violent. And then I saw it again the next day with my friends, and I was I was like, we have to go see this movie. Like we're going right. Like you have to see this movie because I need someone else to see it that's going to enjoy it. Uh, and it's as someone who's like kind of hit or miss on action, it's unreal. Like it's the best. It's it's my favorite action movie. Like I'm I I know I sound like you know a mid twenties white guy, but. What are you gonna do? You are what you are. It's, oh man, it's so good. I actually saw it with my dad and my little brother. Mm -hmm. Um, we went to one of those movie theaters where they like serve you food. Yeah. And do you remember how gross the first like ten minutes of that movie are? When he's like in the sludge or whatever, and like they're like trying. Well, there's to that, and then there's also like those like weird little goblins chasing that, like work for uh Immortan Joe. 
And then you get a lot of like behind the scenes and Morton Joe stuff where he's this like sickly old man. Yeah. And it was just so funny because we had just gotten our food and then the movie immediately became disgusting for yeah. like 10 minutes. And my dad literally sees the little goblin man and just spits out part of his burger. Ah, <laughs> uh, good stuff. I know good we were times, both, but we were both, I get, was that last year we were both reading the book? Um, yeah. The oral history of, and, of Mad Max here and literally every single thing about how they shot this movie sounds like the like just waiting for disaster like I don't know how everyone did oh, yeah while shooting this movie like the fact so that, that was oh, yeah man. that was kind of part of why I gave it number one because I was like this movie is not only does it like look great but it's also having to shoot all these insane practical effects where it's like if you fuck something up you have to do that again yeah it's also just like I've seen it a few, like I have the Blu-ray. It's so rewatchable because there's just so much happening. Like even you're in the, fr you're looking at the front of the screen you're looking at whatever's happening in the foreground. And in the background, there's like 25 different people at all these extras just trying to stab each other at the same, like it's, it's crazy. It's so good. And they also, they released a black and white cut of it, which I watched where it's like this like chrome version of it. And it's like this like shiny gray color, which also looks amazing. I mean, in a very different way, but it's great. It's great. It's good. Yeah, that does sound cool. Uh, yeah, it's just the it's one of those movies where uh, you're like in 20 years when when you know how people always say about like Blazing Saddles, you could never make that today. Yeah. In 20 years, people are going to say that about Mad Max Fury Road. We're like, oh, you absolutely could never, ever do these practical effects anymore. Well, let me, there was a quote Steven Soderbergh said about Mad Max after it came out. But, uh, I mean, it's like with, I don't even really think that's actually true about Blazing Saddles, but it's absolutely true, will be true about Mad Max. I mean, I don't even know if anybody other than George Miller could get away with making this movie. All right, so here's Steven Soderbergh talking about Mad Max. I just watched Mad Max Fury Road again last week, and I tell you, I couldn't direct 30 seconds of that. I put a gun in my mouth. I don't understand how he does that. I don't. It's my job to understand it. I don't understand it. I don't understand how they're not shooting that film still, and I don't understand how hundreds of people aren't dead. <laughs> I mean, he brings up a lot of good points. I mean, the man directed, like, Ocean's Eleven and Magic Mike, and he saw a movie, and he was like, couldn't be made. <laughs> I, I don't know how... I don't, I mean, <laughs> I've been bested by the guy who did Babe, Pig yeah. in the City. Man, what a what an enigma George Miller is. But She's now they're the making best. another Mad Max. They're making well, they're making a prequel with Anya Taylor Joy, which I will be seeing opening night. Oh yeah, of course. I I did you see his most recent movie, George Miller's? Yeah, Three Thousand Years of Longing. Yeah, did you like it? I was hit or miss on it. I like it looked amazing, obviously. Like, but it's it's kind of a bunch of vignettes all like put together in this. Uh, what is with people when making movies that are a bunch of vignettes? So when it works, it really works. When it doesn't work, it kind of like I can't get invested. Um, but I, it seemed more like a he was just having fun and testing things out with like Tilda Swinton. Before oh, fair enough. Furiosa. So, I mean, it's Idris Elba too. I mean, it was it's a it's worth seeing, but it's not anything special. I don't think. I know some people loved it, but it wasn't me. It's no babe pig in the city. Very few things are. There's only one thing that's babe pig in the city. It's true. Should we go through the rest of our lists now that we did our top five? Yeah, let's hear the rest of yours. So I kind of ranked them, but really it's all over the place. Um, 
the most recent movie I have is Tar, which I still don't think. Okay. No, I have not seen Tar. I have Melancholia on my list. Okay. There'll be Blood, Dunkirk, Roma, La La Land, Silence, Carol, Zodiac, The Lighthouse, Midsommar, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Okay, definitely some overlap. So um, I had 1917. I ordered the, I organized them kind of by the cinematographer. So for Roger Deakins, I have 1917 and Blade Runner 2049. For James Laxton, I have Moonlight and Be- If Beale Street Could Talk. For Hoyt Van Hotema, I had an Interstellar Dunkirk and Nope. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Arrival, Bradley Young. Um, the Life Aquatic, I put on there. Um, I also had The Lighthouse and The Northman. Mm-hmm. Um, just because those movies look fantastic. I think The Lighthouse, I I consider putting The Lighthouse on. Over, I, I, the, North, the ending shot of The Northman's amazing, but mm-hmm. The Lighthouse, like the way they use black and white, and how like fucking creepy it is. Yeah. Uh that movie looks amazing. There will be blood, Birdman, everything everywhere all at once. Uh I put John Wick 4 on mine. Mm. And then Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking West Anderson. Uh, there's something about West Anderson that's like it's almost again, it's like a cliche because like Grand Budapest Hotel could be on that list. Moonrise Kingdom, like French literally all of his movies could be on the on the yeah, list. Yeah, all of his movies look great. And I uh, I think that we should give Robert Yalman his due because he uh, did the cinematography for the vast majority of them and they all look great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's all, of the, I really just looked through my favorite movies and just was like, which ones look the best type Yeah, thing. I, I did something there. very similar, I think. So that's what Letterboxd is for, you know, putting together lists. I'm trying to think if there's anything that's else. True. All these movies look good. Um, they're all better than most of Netflix's movies. I guess Roma's on here, and that's a Netflix movie. So, yeah, I I had Roma on mine too originally, um, and then I was like, I just have all of the movies that won best cinematography on my list, mm-hmm. um, and so I deleted some of them off. And Roma does look great. That's another movie that uses black and white really well. Yeah. Um, I know I I I once said that like all black and white movies suck, and Lauren got really mad at me. I also uh, don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I take it back. There are some good black and white movies. Francis Haas is not one of them. But there are other ones that are good. I mean, I have The Lighthouse and Roma on my top 15, 20, whatever it is, list. Those are both black and white. Um yeah, I honestly I was thinking I was Silence was one of my first thoughts. I was like, that movie looks amazing. If I saw that one in theaters, that may be on my list. I'm uh, kind of surprised you didn't have Inside Lewin Davis on yours. I don't really think of it as a cinematography movie. Um, I think the cinematography in it is really good. I mean, the Coen brothers, you could put No Country for Old Men. You could put anything on the list. Um, But it's just... I don't know. Maybe it's... Maybe it's because it's just like normal people living a life. I feel like all of my movies were like... What's the word? They were all like just bigger in different ways. Um, Even like The Master is this very like kaleidoscopic movie in a, in a way that like inside Lewin Davis just isn't, I guess. Yeah. Um, fun fact about uh, no country for old men is also Roger Deakins. Yeah. I mean, that, that guy, man is that a, guy worked is a phenom. Well, he just won his first Oscar like a few years ago too. That's the crazy thing. Wow. This is a wild, I'm looking at the resume for the guy who did the cinematography for inside Lewin Davis. And this is a real, 
strange career. So he has Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Mm -hmm. Dark Shadows, Inside Lewin Davis, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, we did Amelie. That makes sense. Apparently he also worked uh, on... Oh, he he was in the French Dispatch. Who was he in the French Dispatch? He was Tip Top. Oh, infamous. Whoever the fuck that is. That's wild. You watched the French Dispatch? You did, right? No, I have not. Ben has seen it. You were talking about seeing it. We were going to watch it, and then I don't even remember what we ended up watching instead. Uh, Center Stage? Probably. I could look at my letterbox and, re- and probably remember what we watched instead. She did get me to watch Chicago the other day, which it was funny. Uh, one of the cinematography lists I looked at had a scene from Chicago in it. I've actually never seen Chicago. I've seen like pieces of it, but I've never seen the whole movie. Um, I think you would like it more than I did. Um, sure. And I thought it was pretty good. Uh, it's just, I'm just not the biggest musical guy. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's it. Yeah, I agree. If anyone Bullet train, that's what we watched instead. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, it was fine. I think I just like that more than you. Um, if anyone out there has any suggestions or any thoughts or just completely disagrees with us and you've made it this far in the podcast, please let us know. Send us your list. Yeah, we love lists. You know, Send us the list. That's the point of podcasts is just put together lists and now yeah. and, you know, rankings. If, and- if, you, if you send an angry... Uh, response of any kind you have to provide your list along with it also at ben wittenstein for that you know yeah to, you don't have to all, you know, he's he manages this podcast so all yeah, yeah. correspondence goes through him mm-hmm. yeah he's the executive producer he is all right on that note um bye see you man mm-hmm.